lived through 369 days of worst-case scenarios, heart attack, job loss, car repossession, home foreclosure. He felt hopeless and knew he needed to reinvent himself. And the secret is, he never, ever gave up hope. Have you ever felt like giving up, quitting, throwing in the towel? Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. She's an author, health coach, and motivational speaker. Backed into a corner multiple times in her life, Carol shares with you stories on how she overcame some of the toughest obstacles a person can go through in life, but refused to give up hope. Rather than admit defeat, an opportunity was presented, and it involves each and every one of you. Carol will feature spectacular guests who will share their messages of hope, encouragement, and their inspiration to prove why life's adversities only make you stronger. And now, welcoming the host of the show, here's Carol Graham. Me today is Michael Levitt. Michael is the founder and chief, I love this, chief burnout officer of the Breakfast Leadership Network. He is a certified virtual speaker, a certified NLP and CBT therapist, a Fortune 500 consultant, and author of the new book, Burnout Proof. Michael hosts the Breakfast Leadership Show, a top 200 global podcast on iTunes, and we will be discussing that later in the show as well. He is a top 20 global thought leader on HR and culture with Thinkers 360 and a former healthcare executive overseeing $2 billion budgets. How does he do all of this without burning out? Welcome, Michael. Thank you. Glad to be here today. What I'd like to talk to you about, of course, the what we just mentioned regarding the 369 days of worst case scenarios. But before we get into exactly what happened, tell me a little about the pre-burnout stage. Uh, the pre-burnout stage, uh, executive, uh, did a ton of work in finance, IT, and then uh, found myself in healthcare uh, starting in 2007. And throughout all my career, I was type A personality, very driven, uh, wanting to be the best that I could be and wanted to deliver the best that I could deliver uh, because throughout my life, you know, I was driven to be that way. My parents didn't you know, force it on me. You hear cases a lot where people um, feel the pressure from their parents to be the best. And my parents were loving, supporting, and wanted me to of course, be the best that I could be, but not to my own detriment. I somehow along the way forgot the not to my own detriment department um, because I just kept grinding and grinding and grinding and didn't take care of myself. And when you don't do that for a long period of time, it can catch up to you. And in my particular situation, uh, it you know, nearly cost me everything, including my life. So tell us what happened. 2007, I hired as a healthcare executive just outside of Windsor, Ontario, across the border from Detroit, Michigan, um, originally from the U.S. and immigrated to Canada in 2004 and became a citizen in 2011. So I like to joke with people, I can vote and screw up two countries, but then I leave it at that. I don't, I don't tell people who I voted for because I'm going to have half the population mad at me. So I, I never share, um, you know, my political views and all of that. Uh, I just want everybody to get along is, is ultimately what I'd love to see. But in this healthcare role, it was a startup organization and I was responsible for hiring and recruiting physicians and staff and working with government funding and a very active board of directors, which required a lot of hours as anybody that's ever launched a business knows, there's a lot of hours that you have put into it. Now, I was an employee. 
I wasn't the owner. I was an employee, but I was acting as if that I was the owner and put in uh, an amazing amount of hours uh, to make sure that the clinic was successful. And it was and is today. Uh, but the problem is I never took breaks. I, I was basically emailing and working from 6 a.m. to 11 p.m. seven days a week. And I did that for two years. And it all came to a crashing halt in May of 2009, so almost two years after my start date. And it was on a Monday night, and I was mowing my front lawn. And uh, I had an electric lawnmower that was really bulky to use. Uh, but gas prices back then were pretty expensive, so uh, the electric was a more affordable option. So I'm mowing my front lawn, and I get one row done, and I turn the lawnmower to mow another row. And I felt this incredibly sharp pain in my chest. Uh, at that point, I thought I had pulled a muscle pretty bad. And it hurt. It really hurt. I couldn't continue mowing the lawn. I was in so much pain. So I uh, got the lawnmower into the backyard. And then I went inside and I took some pain medication. And the pain went away, more or less, unless I lifted anything with my right arm. Now I'm left-handed, so I don't tend to lift a lot with my left arm. Uh, but or my right arm, excuse me, but occasionally I do. And anytime I lifted anything with my right arm, I'd feel that pain that I felt earlier. It was dull. It didn't like, wasn't painful. Like, oh my goodness, I'm going to fall over type of thing. But it did bother me. And that, that continued for the rest of that week. The Thursday night uh, of that week, I um, went out to dinner and a local restaurant had an all you can eat special. And I took them up on that offer and ate way too much food. You know, the fried, greasy, not good for you, but really tasty food. Well, I, I, I took him up on that, and it was like, okay, let's go. And, of course, washed it down with a few adult beverages as well. And then afterwards, you know, it was you know, beyond full. Uh, and Went home and then eventually went to bed and woke up around 10.30 that night um, with that pain that I felt Monday, but it was about 10 times worse. Uh, it was really, really bad. Now, at that particular moment, I'm thinking, okay, that's what you get for eating all of that fried, greasy food. You now have gas and indigestion. Good night, sleep, forget that happening. But, you know, so I got up and, you know, went into the bathroom and found some Tums and I took some of that and was able to fall asleep. So next morning, I get up. That pain that I had felt. You know, whenever I lifted anything with my right arm, was persistent. Uh, it it wasn't going away. Um, so I went into work, worked for about forty five minutes or so, and then finally decided, okay, I need to talk with you know the doctor about this. It's one of the perks, I guess, of working in a medical clinic. There's doctors there, so I talked to our lead physician and explained to him what had happened. And he listened to my chest, and 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 he's like, it's probably nothing, but let's run an EKG just in case, because we had an EKG. Uh, equipment at our clinic, which is not typical for most uh, family doctor offices, but we were out in the country a little bit, so uh, we felt that it was important to do that. So that way, um, if we needed to run a test for some reason, uh, we had the equipment there and we didn't have to send them into the city for the hospital or to get tested and whatnot. So I would go back to the procedure room, and our physician is there, our nurse, and one of our uh, clinician admin people were there, and myself. And all of them are laughing hysterically. And the reason why they're laughing is because their boss is taking off his clothes at work. So I'm down to my underwear. They're laughing. They're making all kinds of harassment jokes. Of course, this was before Me Too and all of that. So it wasn't appropriate then either, but they were having fun with it. <laughs> and I'm as red as a tomato. I'm not thinking about anything other than here I am. They're seeing me basically almost in my birthday suit. And I work with these people. I've hired these people. Right, right. And so they're having jokes. And finally, I'm like, all right, all right, let's, let's you know, calm down and we'll go ahead and take care of this. So I did that. And they hook up, you know, all the electrodes to run the test. And they run the test and they see the results and they're perplexed. They're like, this doesn't look right. So they you know, said, you know what? Let's, we're going to disconnect everything. We're going to reconnect everything again, different spots, and run the test again because the results look weird. So they did that, and they ran the test, and the results came back identical. So they sent the report off to Hotel Grace Hospital in Windsor, Ontario, and 
about 20 minutes later, Dr. Gina, who was one of the cardiologists there at the time, um, he called and said, tell Michael to get his butt in the hospital right now and he cannot drive here. Um, so basically what had happened was I had a pretty significant heart attack that Thursday night. Um, I had two blockages in my left interior descending artery, which has a nickname of the Widowmaker. Because when you have blockages in that artery and you have a heart attack, statistically speaking, uh, you don't survive. Um, well, here I am. It's 2021. That was in 2009. I'm still here. I'm very thankful for that. Um, but that let, that kicked off my what I refer to as my year of worst case scenarios. Next up was uh, after 17 weeks of recovering from that cardiac event, um, I was clear to go back to work uh, to find out that uh, the clinic didn't want me anymore. Um, there were some mistakes that I'd made while I was working there that they felt were um, worthy of uh, going in a different direction. Um, I never really discussed the things with them, you know, and outsiders looked at it and said, yeah, that's not worth, you know, losing your job over. There were other factors involved probably, but you know, I, I don't want to debate or, um, uh-huh. a- analyze those things. But here, needless to say, here I am 17 weeks after having a heart attack and now I'm, you know, without a job again, remind you, I was in Windsor across from Detroit. Uh-huh. This was 2009. Anybody remember the Great Recession? Yeah, that's when this took place. And I was in the region of Detroit. The U.S. and Canadian government had to bail out General Motors and Chrysler and and almost Ford as well because they were a heartbeat away, pardon the pun, of going out of business. Um, Detroit was my hometown. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So you you know about the big three. Mm -hmm. Um, And you know the roller coaster of what what the economy does in in that area. Uh, When those guys are doing well, then the economy does well. When they don't, boy, oh, boy, it's not a lot of fun. So needless to say, wasn't a lot of fun down there. So there wasn't any jobs to be found, which required me to really look far and wide to try to find work. And of course, this is during a recession. So uh, people that had jobs certainly weren't going to leave them. So there was not a lot of things to look for. Um, But I did end up finding a role several months later, which required a relocation to Toronto. So I moved to Toronto. It was in April of 2010. And I was in my role for a couple of weeks. My family was still back in the Windsor area, and I was commuting on the weekends back and forth uh, until I found a place for the family to move up to Toronto and, and sell our house and, and all that. And I get a phone call. It was uh, about a little after 4 o'clock on an afternoon that I was up there, and it was from my oldest daughter, who was 10 at the time. And she was crying, couldn't understand the thing she was saying. Finally, I was able to get from them that the bank had come and repossessed our family vehicle. Um, oh, great. And so thankfully, we had a second vehicle, which was with me in Toronto. The family was in Windsor with no vehicle. Uh, and so that was obviously a bit of an adjustment to deal with. And, you know, thankfully, family and friends were able to help out and, you know, provide transportation when, when they needed it. Um, and because down in the Windsor area, not there is some public transit, but not a lot. Um from you're from Detroit, so let me describe what public transit is real quick. I'm just kidding. You know, <laughs> it's it's um, GM, Ford, and Chrysler is not a big fan of public transit, so that's why you don't see much of it in Detroit. <laughs> um, I, I can say that because you know I can. But anyway, uh, so needless to say, that was a little bit of a hiccup on things. So fast forward to May, um, finally find a place uh, for us to move up to. So move the family up to Toronto. And once we got everything unpacked and all that, we realized that um, we forgot the bunk bed ladder uh, for our kid's bed. Uh, Somehow that didn't make it in the move. So I I was going back to Windsor the following week uh, or weekend to uh, visit with family and friends and wrap up a couple things uh, that was going on down there. So I went down and had a good visit and went by the house to grab the ladder and anything else that we may have forgotten. Uh, Because I know sometimes in moves, you you always leave something behind for some reason. Um, 
and I'm not sure how we forgot this one because it was a bright red ladder. You know, not like it was hiding. It's like things stuck out like a sore thumb. But when I get to the house, I go in through the front door and um, I open up the screen door and I see the largest padlock I've ever seen in my life. I've never seen this lock at Home Depot or any other hardware store. The only place you can buy this type of lock is organizations that foreclose homes. And there was a small sticker on the door that said foreclosure. Um, what was frustrating about that is we never got a notification from the bank that they were going to do that because usually they send you some love letters saying, "Hey, um, you're gonna, you know, we're gonna foreclose your house." And you know, to go back just real quick, reason why the car was repossessed and the home was foreclosed is we weren't able to make payments because when you're on unemployment, you don't get as much money, and plus the medications that I was on with no drug insurance coverage mm. cost me over $1,000 a month. My, my was $1,000 a month right out the pocket. Um, you know, the, the rest of the money was covering food and a couple bills here and there, but that was it. Um, and so needless to say, and you know, we of course, and I always recommend this to people whenever they get any type of financial difficulty, contact your creditors first. Don't wait for them to contact you, contact them, advise them your situation, majority of the time they will work with you and our creditors did but unfortunately we ran out of time because it was a long time that we weren't able to pay and they they exercised their right um to uh, to take the home and, and the car and i'm not upset about that you know it's like they i didn't pay they they it was theirs they took it but basically that's what happened over that 369 days so heart attack that should have killed me lost my job during the great recession car was repossessed and home foreclosed. And all of those things happened because I was burned out. Uh, my burnout created all of those scenarios. One thing I want to address before we talk a little more about uh, burnout is how did you handle it emotionally? Were you feeling sorry for yourself? Were you picking up your bootstraps and saying, I can, I can move forward? Where were you emotionally and how did you deal with it? Most days, um, I just approach them, you know, as a day at a time. I'm like, okay, what do I need to do today? Well, I know I have a full-time job, and that is to find a job. You know, that was the the first thing after you know, losing my job. Now, that's 17 weeks up to losing my job. My focus was on basically healing from the procedure uh, and getting used to the side effects of the heart medication, which uh, at that time, one of the side effects was at 2 p.m., without fail, I literally had to take a nap. If I was sitting up in a chair having a conversation, I would you know, be to the point where I would almost pass out. And I called my doctor for that happening after about a week, and I said, uh, Doc, this is the side effect that I'm having. Um, you need to change this medication because I'm not taking naps on every day at 2 p.m. when I'm 40 years old, um, unless it's Saturday and it's college football season. Then that's that's a norm for me, but not <laughs> not during the weekday. You know, I remember back then you'd fall asleep, you know, during the Michigan or Michigan State game, and you doze off, and you wake up and the UCLA game's on. And you're like, <laughs> what was the score? I'm like, crap, I missed the game. And that was before DVRs or. You know, anything like that, I'm like, oh, man, I missed the game. But, you know, you, you sit there, you get comfy, and next thing you know, you're you're out cold. But that was happening to me every day, and I'm like, I'm not good with this. So, you know, the doctor uh, took me off one of the medications that he had me on, and I'm, I'm thankful to say now that I don't take any heart medication. Um, I've adjusted That's my great. diet, my lifestyle. I take vitamins and nutrients and, uh, you know, coupled with, you know, the right foods for me and, you know, keeps the heart healthy and cholesterol in check and everything else that uh, was a problem beforehand. Uh, but, you know, there, of course there were, you know, moments which were frustrating and it was uh, more on the, in the job search situation because I was frustrated and concerned about, you know, not being able to you know, pay bills and, and do all those things. But I think, and, and you'll understand this. Growing up in Detroit, there's a resiliency that most Detroiters have. Um, Detroit definitely, you know, over the years has been knocked down quite a bit. It's having a resurgence now. You know, a lot of things are happening. 
um, there. Uh, but there's just a spirit, you know, the spirit of Detroit. And I actually have a 3D um, designed statue of Joe Lewis's fist like they have downtown. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got that. And it's a reminder to me uh, of, okay, just, you know, like a boxer, you get knocked down, you get back up. And obviously, you know, those 369 days kept knocking me down, but I kept getting back up because I'm like, okay, I'm going to persevere through this. So I never played victim. I didn't blame anybody. I didn't blame my employers for wanting, you know, to let me go. I didn't blame the fast food companies for feeding me. I didn't blame anybody for the long hours I was working or the no exercise or all the other things that were absent of my life during that period of time. Um, and I didn't blame myself either. Like I, I focused on, okay, what do I need to do to get better? Okay. What do I need to do on that? And realize and once I realized there was burnout that did all of these things and like, okay, I need to figure out what do I need to do to make sure that never happens again? because that was a difficult period of time and I don't ever want to go through that again. So how did you come out of it? How did you turn it around? For me, a lot of it, and this is one of those things if I have one regret was I didn't work with a therapist. I did everything on my own back then. Um, I wish I would have worked with a therapist. I think it would have it would have expedited some things, but then on the flip side of it, I don't think I'd be doing the work that I do if I would have done it that way. So basically what I ended up doing was a lot of reflection going, okay, I worked so many hours you know, for two solid years. Why? And why did I do that? And I, I approached it with a do not beat yourself up. You are still alive, so there, you, congratulations, you survived a ton. So what, you know, what was driving me to work those hours? What was driving me to not take time to eat a nutritious meal, which I had access to? It wasn't like a case where I couldn't have access to healthy food. Why didn't I exercise? You know, I could have you know, done some exercises at time if I would have had boundaries around the hours that I worked, I could have easily had it. My commute time was five minutes to work. I mean, literally, it was a five-minute drive. I could have walked it. probably would have been a healthier choice if I would have walked it um, on nice days. You know, Not so much winter days, but on nice days, I could have done that. And it would have been great for me. I would have been much healthier. Um, but you know, I, I approached him like, okay, why? What was the reasoning behind this? What were you trying to prove? And I learned a lot about myself. And realized that, you know, me trying to be the best was not necessarily for me to, you know, get, you know, get results and, and accolades and all that stuff, although those were important. But it was a situation where I was doing it in such a way where I wasn't honoring myself first. I wasn't taking care of me first, which when you take care of yourself first and you make sure that you're the best you can be from a healthy physical and mental state, the work that you do and the, the efforts that you give in life are actually better because you're doing it from a healthier space. I was beyond empty. That tank was bone dry. There was no gas in it at all. <laughs> but I kept going and obviously it took a toll. And you know, looked at all those situations and you know, I understood, you know, you know, okay, why you know, why did I overcommit to this? Why you know, why did I feel that I need to have you know, this really expensive car payment that we really couldn't afford. Um, what was the, you know, the deal with the house? You know, why did we want to live there? What was, you know, all the things and, you know, questioned a lot of things and did a lot of work on it and, you know, came pretty crystal clear on, you know, that, you know, a lot of the things that I wanted in life, you know, weren't really serving me as, as best they could. And, you know, I always tell people, and this is something I always want to remind people of, if you're burned out or you're burning out, don't think that you have to completely reinvent your life like I did. I'm an exceptional case. Uh, most people that I encounter, they don't need to reinvent their entire life. They need to make some adjustments here and there, make some choices, and, and maybe establish some boundaries around a few things. But they don't have to just completely do a 180 and go in a completely different direction 
uh, in life. But in my particular situation, I felt that I had to, especially with, you know, how traumatic and, and how devastating, you know, those losses that I had, you know, how they were. And I wanted to make sure that, again, I never put myself in that situation again. I have a few questions, but the first one I <laughs> I was chuckling to myself as you were talking because I can't imagine a type A personality going to a therapist. <laughs> I knew I knew you'd get that because I can yeah. relate. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not yeah the lineup for type A personality is not long. You know, and that that's a shortcut. If if you are somebody that's trying to get into therapy and of course you know, right now during this pandemic there's you know a lot of people that are seeking therapy, which is which is great. Uh, but you know, just tell them your type A personality. The line's much shorter, and you can get it a lot quicker. Um, now, if you say that to your therapist, they, you know they'll, they'll say, "Where did you hear that?" Yeah, exactly. You know, make sure you blame me. Don't blame Carol. Blame me. You know, okay. and, you know, my, my contact information will be shared at the end of the show, so uh, I'm prepared for the hate. I'm, I'm good with that. But yeah, no, it's definitely it's not. And it's one of those things when I you know work with you know individuals because you know, I tend to work with teams mostly, but you know, from time to time I do work with individuals as well. Um, yeah, the type A personalities are are rare to approach and want to get feedback because they're so driven and they're like, I, I'll work through it. And yes, you need to work through it, but working more hours isn't working through it. And I think that's where the big disconnect is with a lot of us driven type A's in the world. Both my husband and I are, I used to refer to us as workaholics, but I don't know if that's the right term. We we have several businesses. We each work seven days a week. To take a day off is like, why? And yet, I don't feel that either one of us are burning out. And I'm going to ask you to address that in a moment. But one of the things that I thought would be uh, that you get a kick out of as well is the other day my husband was doing something and I said why are you doing this he was uh, looking at some stocks etc and he said this is for our retirement and it was like you actually had that word come out of your mouth like that that's a dirty word you know it's like those of us and I think you I'd like you to address this as well I can't ever imagine us retiring and yet my family is the same way so I, we're just all driven people we enjoy it my brother who's in his 80s and in very poor health still works full time and he says if i sit down in the chair i'll probably never get out so a few things there for you to address possibly and then as you talk about after you talk about that i'd like you to also share the signs of burnout yeah there's a lot of people that way and i think i want to I don't want to say it's generational maybe, but I'm not quite sure on that. So I'm going to hold back on that one. But I, I do find that a lot of people that are successful, that and the definition of success is individual. It, 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 my definition of success is different than right. my, my brother's or you know, my, my better half or other people. There's you know different variances on that. But when you're enjoying what you're doing, and it brings you joy and fulfillment mm -hmm. to do it, and it doesn't drain you, um, then then it's okay. But you have okay. to continue to check yourself. And that's, you know, from a mental and physical standpoint, you know, okay, how am I doing today? And again, a lot, a lot of these exercises are, are strange at first for people that are type A. And like, I don't, why would I take time to do that? I'm too busy working. And why always bring it back to, okay, What's the end result? You know, why do you do what you do? You know, why do you have the multiple businesses? What, what What's the end result? What What Where's Where's the finish line? And a lot of people say, "Well, I don't want to think about the finish line." Well, you know, uh, spoiler alert: we all have expiry dates, and at some point, you know, you, you may not be able to work because time has passed, or you know, hopefully, and this doesn't happen to anybody. You know, some type of a uh, physical ailment or something prevents you from doing some things um but you know as, as time goes on as we get more digitalized and you know everything's done on computers and things like that the amount of work that can be done and the types of work that can be done you know from a laptop or from a phone 
gives a lot of access to people to do a lot of different things. So, you know, the opportunity to continue working until you can't work anymore exists. Um, but again, it's one of those things where I always tell people that are of that ilk, okay, you know, if, if retirement is not something that you foresee wanting to do, like if you don't want to say, you know what, I want to sell all of our property, I want to move to Barbados and, 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 you know, sit and, you know, watch, you know, water and, you know, take in nature and all that kind of stuff and not do anything else. If that's something that you want to do, you know, full time, um, then okay. But uh, I interviewed a guy and I can't, I can't think of his name. Um, this was a few years ago. Um, and he, you know, he was a retirement planner. And one of the things that he has people do is practice retirement. And he says, you know, schedule time. If you can, figure out a way to take off a chunk of time and not work. I mean, and it's difficult for, for type A people. It's really difficult. And I know. I'm an entrepreneur. I mean, I'm, you know, I'll pick up the laptop even on you know, the weekend and, and do something. Because um, it comes to mind. I'm like, let me just get it done and over with. Because I'm just, you know, that's, it's finished. But it's like, you know, take time and don't work at all. Because that's what retirement is. You don't work anymore. Um, so you're like, okay, what do I do? Well, I don't recommend you know, watching daytime television unless you want to significantly lower your IQ. Um, nothing else to do that, but come on. You know, it's like it's not mentally stimulating uh, if you're watching normal broadcast stations because you've got – Game shows, you got some news, then you've got some soap operas, or you've got some drama, or you've got you know completely crazy off the wall type of shows where people are throwing chairs at each other, or there's DNA tests, or you know all this other fun stuff. Again, your IQ is going to drop. You'll feel the points dropping. You'll be like, "Why do I feel like I'm getting dumber?" Because you are, uh, because they're not stimulating your brain. Right. But that, again, there's there's a thing. It's like, okay, well, I'm not working. I'm not doing things. What am what am I going to do? So, the definition or the classic definition of retirement, I think, is going to look a lot different for a lot of people because they're like, no, I still want to do things because the brain is still functioning. My motor skills are still working. I want to continue to give and serve, and. My, I implore younger generations, I'm a Gen X, I implore the millennials and the Gen Zs and generations to come after that, embrace those that have gone before you for lessons that we can share. Right. And don't try to figure it out on your own. We're not trying to steal your thunder. We're not trying to do things for you. We're trying to point you well, this is what worked, this doesn't. Even in this digital, virtual, all this kind of stuff, there's still foundations of things that we have learned over the years that you may not have learned, so be able to do that. So long-winded answer to your question, for those people that don't want to retire and they enjoy what they do, don't retire. Or scale back if you want to, or say, you know what, I'm going to, instead of doing seven days a week, let's go crazy and scale it, scale it down to five. Ooh, wait a minute. You know, now that's, that's silly talk for some people. <laughs> um, and then maybe four and then you're, then all of a sudden somebody, you know, leaves Tim Ferriss's, you know, you know, four hour work week or four day. Well, I forget what the title of it is. It's like, all of a sudden it's like, wait a minute, you know, you want me to go from like 90 or hundred hours down to four? What? You know, but again, it all boils down to, in a way for a lot of people that do that, you know, their hobbies are their work. They enjoy it so much. They, they don't look at it as work. They right. look at it as play. And if that's truly what you feel, then by all means, continue to play. And uh, don't let society say, no, you shouldn't do that. You know what? Everybody's got to figure out their own path and their own way to do things and what works for them. And when you find it and you're enjoying yourself, that's great. I mean, there's nothing wrong with you know, working with your investments and things like that and having you know, safety nets in place because, as we know, you know, there's you know, economics change, society changes, jobs change, careers change. You know, and, you know, there's not a big demand for you know, horseshoe services like there were before Henry Ford showed up. So um, you know, all those things you know, can evolve and, and change. But 
when you're constantly as an entrepreneur and launching business and running businesses, you'll go, okay, well, I'll just launch something that will match what uh, people need. And I enjoy doing it. So, yeah, if you don't don't feel like retiring, don't because it's play. You're not really working. You're playing. So don't stop playing. Thank you for confirming my thoughts. <laughs> it's exactly what I what I've been thinking for for many years, and and it, if it, I don't ever feel like I'm at a place of burnout because I think the secret is enjoying it so much of what I'm doing. Maybe I don't know, but from what you say, I feel that that confirmed it, and I thank you for that. Now tell us about your book, Burnout Proof. Is it a memoir? Is it a self-help? Is it both? It's more of a self-help. I do touch on um, my 369 days, but I wrote a book, 369 Days, How to Survive Your Worst Case Scenario. So people are going to refer to that book as far as my memoir of what, what transpired. Uh, but this book, ironically, I started writing before I wrote 369 because 369 Days came out in 2017. And Burnout Proof came out in January of this year. So, But I actually started working on Burnout Proof beforehand. But as I was going through it, you know, again, a, a colleague of mine, not the same one that told me about you know getting a podcast launch, but somebody else said, you know what, so it might be helpful for you to you know, write about what happened to you. So it, that might be something good for the book. And I started doing it. And it was a it, it was a way for me to kind of go back in time because at that particular point it was 2016. So it had been several years since everything had happened. So it was a way for me to go back and revisit that time um, from a completely different headspace, completely different person. Right, right. All kinds of different things were completely different uh, for me. And it was it was an interesting exercise uh, to do it. And um, and it was pretty easy. You know, it wasn't overly emotional except for uh, the chapter on the car repossession. You know, a lot of people say that got you emotional. You know, wait a minute, heart attack, job loss, you know, home getting <laughs> repossessed, your car getting towed away. That was an emotional thing for you. And, and I say, yeah, it was because of all the things that happened, that was the one element. I wasn't there when it happened. I was in Toronto. Family was in Windsor. Right. And when it was towed there. So I wasn't there uh, to see it, experience it. Not that I was going to be able to prevent it. You know, they, they had a right to take it. But it was one of those things where I remember just being completely, you know, devastated by that. Because I know it was an emotional trauma for uh, for the family to see. Right. And, um, but, you know, thankfully, you know, rebounded from all of that. But after you know getting through that chapter and in writing the book and you know working with an editor and publisher and all that kind of stuff got the book out and you know that launched you know pretty much was a, a big launch to my business coupled with the podcast and and writing and and and, and speaking events and you know working with teams and all that it was moving along and then of course you know for several years you know working with different people and hearing the stories of people facing burnout and some of the things that they saw like okay was getting time to okay let's let's go back to that book i was going to write first and dust that off and, and let's start putting something together so i started doing it and you know of course with all the you know blog posts that i do and writing and speaking and all that i had a ton of material to work with and started working on it in in 2019 and i was planning on uh, releasing it uh, in the spring of 2020 uh, well then there's something called the covid 19 uh, pandemic decided to hit, and I thought maybe not the best time to release a book. Um, so I held off on it a little bit, and I'm glad that they did because as I was talking with people and, and still working with teams and, and speaking at conferences, albeit all of them virtual, uh, I was discovering and seeing a lot of people having working from home burnout. And really. Working from home burnout, the burnout cases are actually increasing more than they were before the pandemic. Americans, on average, are working 20% more hours than they did before. Um, and it's it's bad for a lot of people. And uh, because the dynamic of you don't necessarily have a, you know, for people that normally work in an office and work for an organization, now they're working from home, they don't have the the visual cues of when the workday starts or ends okay 
they don't have a they may not have a time clock but they don't have those cues of getting up and leaving and going to work and leaving work and coming back home it's same place you, know, you don't go anywhere um, and then of course so many people became full-time school teachers you know for a good chunk of time as well so right. factor that in and the timing of the education of your kids often coincides with when you work so needless to say a little challenging to navigate that so people were working into the evening or early in the morning to get their work accomplished while they you know help their kids with schoolwork and all of that so it's been really problematic for a lot of people and a lot of people never worked remotely before so it was a big learning curve for that and of course things being closed oh by the way there's a pandemic and people are dying all of this has been really stressful for a lot of people and working from home burnout started increasing so you know last fall i thought okay this book needs an additional chapter so i went back and and wrote uh, a working from home burnout uh, chapter in the book. Oh, great. And, That's awesome. And added that in because I felt that it needed to be uh, included. Then got it to the editor and got it published. And uh, But it, you know, basically in the book, I go over the signs of burnout, things you can do to stop burnout in its tracks. And you can. That's one of the things that a lot of people don't realize is when you are approaching burnout or you are burned out, you can actually get out of burnout quicker than you think. But the deeper work is, you know, quite frankly, you know, some of the work that I did afterwards was, okay, why did I burn out? What, what was I doing that created those scenarios for me to burn out? What do I need to adjust to make sure that doesn't happen again? I really appreciate a lot of what you just said in this last, um, this last segment, because I think that adding that extra chapter is a key to selling that book, because people obviously are going through this time and it's all virgin territory they've never been there before and you just painted a picture that i was not even aware of because i've been working from home for many years already so i didn't realize that it is a real different world that people have to adjust to and i appreciate that and having that book available and the last chapter i think is a, a real plus and i thank you for sh for sharing that could you also now share about your podcast? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Breakfast Leadership Show. I launched that in February of 2017. As I said, the day of this recording um, is the four-year anniversary. Completely forgot to put that on my calendar. And I have everything on my calendar. I don't know why I don't have it on there, <laughs> but, I, but I do. It's like I, I remember the day. I'm like, why in the world don't I have that? But I'm going to do that later. Uh, but yeah, I launched it you know, in 2017 to talk about burnout and you know the initial format of the show was me doing real quick short you know five to ten minute segments talking about burnout and some of the things you can look for and some of the things you can do to to stop burnout and, and recover from it and after doing that for roughly i think it was 60 episodes then a good colleague of mine said, you need to start interviewing guests. And as we talked about in the pre-show, I was like, uh, how do I do that? You know, what tools do I need? Do I got to go get a re recording studio? What, what do I need to do? And, you know, of course, they told me, no, you don't have to do all that. So I uh, started interviewing guests and then things have taken off. And I've interviewed hundreds of amazing human beings uh, all across this globe. Uh, and, you know, from thought leaders, successful business people, astronauts, uh, former conductors of the New York Philharmonic Orchestra, um, you, you name it. It's just been some amazing human beings and uh, that have done uh, incredible work. And with the hope of you know sharing how they got there, some of the, the steps that they took to get to where they wanted to go. And there's a lot of similarities. Uh, you know, everybody's different, but there's a lot of similarities with with people and how they were able to accomplish the goals that they wanted to do. And it, it, it all boils down to you know, focusing on what you want, understanding where you are in a non-judgmental way, and, and figure out the steps to get to where you want to be. And everyone can accomplish whatever they want to if they follow the steps. And you know, of course, things have to fall in place. And there's some external things, of course, that have to happen. But if you put yourself in the right position to be successful, your definition of success, of course, you will be. Uh, and it's just, and it takes time. You know, sometimes it's it's not the straight line; it's the squiggly line that we've all seen. Um, but you get there, and it's 
it's an amazing uh, feeling to have you know, you know, have the show. It, it's helped me with obviously the book. It's also helped me with being able to work with organizations and speak at conferences all across the globe on burnout prevention and recovery. And uh, you know, I think back to those 369 days when I was wondering where am I going to work? You know, what what's going to happen? And I look back at that time and I look at where things are now and I stand in awe and amazement, but I, I see the breadcrumbs all over the place on, on, you know, how it happened and it happened because I followed some roadmaps and guidance and and things that I learned along the way that, uh, you know, created the possibilities for me to be able to do what I do today. I think that was a perfect summary. I was going to ask you to do one and you just did it. And I appreciate that you capsulized on that. And one of the things that I picked up as I was listening to you, and that is balance. And I know that you would probably agree with me that that is a crucial thing in avoiding burnout. Do you agree with that? Oh, I definitely do. I, I tend to use, I mean, it's very similar. I use the, the phrase harmony. Because when I think of like work-life balance, for example, I think okay, that you know, balancing those things would be like balancing an egg. You know, it's gonna it's gonna land on one side or the other. It won't stand straight up unless you got a really defective egg. Um, and then I wouldn't eat that one. But it, ultimately, it's you are one being. You you do work, you do play. In your particular situation, kind of looks more like all play. You know, it's work, of course. It's, what society would deem work, but you're you're having fun with it. But you, you have to take care of yourself. You got to make sure that you get uh, restful sleep. I, I, I sleep and boundaries are the two main ingredients in preventing burnout. And burnout, just to give it, people a definition of it, is prolonged stress um, and that you know where you feel overwhelmed, you can't keep up with the demands of life, and it's prolonged. Um, if you don't have prolonged stress, you won't burn out. You have to, stress has to be there and has to be there for a while in order for you to burn out. Um, it doesn't happen overnight. Um, but, you know, ultimately when, when you want your life to be harmonious, uh, because life is not a cookie cutter every day is this way or that way, uh, even though you may be able, like myself, you know, my calendar, I'm you know, pretty structured in how I live my life and do work and all of that. And I have themes for every day of the week and I do my best to stick to them, but sometimes they don't because of situations, um, last minute appointments or opportunities or anything like that. But I find it that once you figure out how you flow from an energy standpoint, match up what you do with that energy. Like in my situation, the mornings tend to be a lot better for me to work on task-driven things. Afternoons tend to be better for conversations and follow-ups and you know easier you know pace of things. Um, evenings, I I do my best not to work. Um, you know, I you know I make dinner, you know, spend time with my loved one, you know, have conversations on some things, walk the dog. You know, call my mom, uh, and you know, and basically wash, rinse, repeat. Uh, but for everybody, it, you know, finding that harmony uh, is such a big, big deal, um, and it, it takes some time to figure out if you haven't. Uh, and it's just it's tracking down you know, your energy levels and the things you need to do and matching them up. And when you do that, it makes it so much easier to do the things you need to do, because if somebody said, okay after this call and it's in the afternoon, all right, I want you to do some, you know, spreadsheet analysis on this thing and, and do some research on, you know, stock charts and things like that. The numbers are going to start blurring and I'm not going to be able to see a thing or comprehend anything because it's not a good time for me, uh, for my energy to be able to address it that you asked me to do that at seven o'clock in the morning, all over it, not a problem. Uh, but that's me. Other people, the absolute opposite where, don't ask them to do anything analytical in the morning because, well, the coffee hasn't kicked in and it, it's just not a good idea where, you know, some people are better at night. And, you know, everybody's like, well, you have to work, you know, these hours. 
And I, my one hope, and it's a little bit of a segue, is my one hope with this pandemic and work and the design of what work looks like for people is one, they have the flexibility to work remotely if they choose to. Secondly, and just as important, is they can work when they want to. Because there are some people that are working a nine to five day and their energy levels to do great work happen from maybe 2 p.m. to 9 p.m. or 2 to 10. Well, that's not when the office is working. But for them, that would be better for them. You put somebody that was really good in those time frames to be able to do their work then, watch the productivity, watch the output, watch the quality of the work that they do. It's going to be exponentially better. So that's my one sidebar is that's what I hope employers recognize is you don't need them most of the time in this nine to five industrial age, you know, Henry Ford way of doing work kind of thing. Leave that to the assembly lines, the way that office work should be, which would reduce stress and, and prevent burnout is letting people work when they're best ideal to work and let them do the, the best they can do. You'll, you'll, you'll see a dramatic decrease in stress. Well, that was a lot to think about. I really appreciate it. I took lots of notes. I hope the listeners did as well. I think that this is one podcast that should be listened to more than once. You packed it with tips and encouraging words and challenges and also clarity. And you certainly brought clarity to some of the things that uh, I was thinking about and hoping that you would address. And so I really thank you today for being on Never Ever Give Up Hope. I trust that the audience will follow you, will pick up your books, will listen to your podcast, and just benefit from this broadcast today. Thank you again, Michael. I really appreciate you being on Never Ever Give Up Hope. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. Did you know that most people succeed because they are determined to? Quitting was never an option. Carol loves your comments and will respond to each one. So please subscribe and review this podcast. A rating of five stars would be outstanding and appreciated. Remember, if you are still here, there is always hope.